here, uh, continue kind of introducing uh, probably the most critical section in Romans, uh, one of the most uh, uh, ones that's the least traveled uh, in with most believers. And uh, we're going to get back in here in the second section, chapter 6, 7, and 8, kind of clean up some things and, and uh, hopefully maybe get into verse 1 and 2. Uh, a little bit this morning. Uh, this section is very critical in our understanding uh, because this is going to explain to us, teach us uh, everything about our identification. Coming out of chapter 5 there, that issue of that natural relationship that we now have with uh, Christ, uh, what is true of our relationship with Adam is now true of our relationship with Christ. Uh, the first, so we have this new relationship, this new identity. Um, when you talk about chapter 6, 7, and 8, usually you talk about, uh, you'll hear the term sanctification, and that's very well and good. Uh, it's more, I'm trying to focus more on our identification issues, um, because when you understand your identification, then the issue of sanctification, the issue of, a daily walk, a, a holy walk, a walk worthy and well-pleasing to the Lord comes from an understanding of your identification. In chapter 1 to 5, we saw that Christ died for us. So the penalty of sin has been dealt with. In 6, 7, and 8, we're going to see that we died with him, that co-death, burial, and resurrection. So now the issue of the power of sin is what we're going to learn that has been dealt with. In chapter 12 through 16, um, come over to 8, get, get chapter 8, 39, and get chapter 12, verse 1. 8, 39, and 12, 1. In chapters 12 through 16, we're going to learn that we can now die for him. And therefore, the presence of sin will be dealt with. If you look at, just read Romans 8, 39 nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now read 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, what? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In 12.1, how we are going to learn to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, is based on what we're going to learn in 6, 7, and 8. How we are to be transformed by the renewing. When we're going to renew our minds, we're going to do it with the doctrines of 6, 7, and 8. So literally, you could take 9, 10, and 11 which is about Israel and the dispensational issue, and just kind of pinch it and connect 8 and 12. 6, 7, and 8 is going to connect into 12 through 16, okay? And not to, not, you have to have chapters 9, 10, and 11 to remind yourself that you're not Israel, you are the church, the body of Christ, and those entities are separate. But also, what then does Israel need today in the age of grace? They need to be saved by Paul's gospel. They've been declared heathen. The circumcision, the little flock church is gone. It does not exist today. It's been, they've been, they're dead. They're gone. Actually, they were dead. They were almost all gone in Paul's day. By the time Paul ends his life, there's only a handful of circumcision, little flock believers. Peter and John are still around, and that's about it. Okay, when you look at history and you read Josephus and those guys uh, from apparently from history. So when you come back into 6, 7, and 8, you, that's why I said this is probably one of the most critical sections in, our, uh, in understanding how to live our Christian life. In religion, look at 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In religion, you'll hear people say, we are a converted sinner. 
that is an inaccurate statement, okay? We have a song that we'll sing, and I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's kind of, eh, because what does verse 1 say here? We're getting into chapter 5, verse 1, what does it say? Therefore, being justified, right? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. So we are justified. We are, we're taken care of. We'll never offend the justice of God again. We're righteous. But when you come into chapter 6, when they say that you're a converted sinner and that idea, what we're going to learn is that we are not a converted sinner. There's something else happening than him rehashing, reshaping the old. Okay? Now, you've got to just follow here. Don't, don't bow your brow just yet, okay? Because you, <laughs> some of you guys went real quick. Because that's what we always hear. But there's something happening in, that we're going to learn starting in chapter 6. By the way, look there at, verse, at chapter 5, verse 20. More of the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did, what's those next two words? Much more. We're in that much more doctrine here. We're in that stepping, that, that edification process. So in chapter 6, we're going to begin to learn what does it mean to be saved? Okay, what does that mean? We have this much more. We have a vast treasure of knowledge, of understanding that the penalty of sin has been dealt with, but now the power of sin has, no longer has a control over us. Much more. And what we're going to reveal here and what Paul's going to give us as we go through this is that there, what does it mean to be saved? What does that mean? What does that entail? Look at verse 1 again carefully. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Now, I live any longer therein. I try to focus on we are dead to sin. If you look at verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Some 30 times in 6, 7, and 8, Paul talks about death and dying, crucified, uses terms that says what? We are dead. Sin is not dead. We're dead to it. So there's a supernatural operation that's going to begin to take place in our lives. Christ died for us. Okay, chapter 1 to 5. Chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're going to le learn that he died for us so that he can now come and live in us. And then in 12 through 16, he does all that so now he can come and live through us. So he died for us so he could live in us, and then he's living in us so now he can go live through us. And you'll notice the answer to sin in verse 1 and 2 is the issue of death. And... Uh, what do we say to 520 when someone says, oh, you guys think that you can just keep living in sin, you grace believers, what do we say? No, God forbid. There's a much more to this. There's much more. There's more going on than just saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's inadequate. Okay? There's something deeper happening here and uh, it's much more. Verse 20 there of chapter 5, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but when sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Again, do we conclude that sin is something that we can continue to enjoy and engage in? The answer is no. We're going to come to a conclusion here in chapter 6, 7, and 8, especially chapter 6, <laughs> That no, 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 no. The answer is what? Verse 2, God forbid. Because we're beginning to understand that we are dead to sin. Okay? Now this is a different way of looking at this and thinking about it. Because we're taught that on stopping sin in your life, you're going to do A, B, C, D, and E. Okay? And no. 
That is nowhere in any of Paul's scripture. By the way, the closest thing to it, Titus 2 over there, he says, uh, the grace of God to bring us salvation at the period of all men, teaching us that what? Denying. But how can you deny? You can only deny if you're living in Romans 6 and you understand some things in your thinking. You see, we're dead. Sin is not dead. It's a very real influencer. influencer. It's, very, it's a very real enemy that we have to contend with. And although we're going to learn, really, that we don't have to contend with it because we're dead to it. And when it comes to sin, we have a different identity, a different connection to it. And then actually, you know what, they, we don't sin so grace can abound, do we? We don't, no, no, that's just wrong thinking. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. When it comes to stopping sin in our lives, how do we usually do it? Well, I'm going to stop sinning because God hates sin. Does God hate sin? Well, yeah, he's a holy God. He can't even look at it. So we're going to stop sin because I love God and God loves me. How are you doing with that? Not too good, apparently. You have to be careful with that kind of language, that kind of terminology, because that's what Christendom says, religion says. Religion comes in and says, hey, you got to do something, so here's what you're going to do. The answer, by the way, how do we stop sin? Verse 2, 6-2. How do we stop sin? What does it say? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? You know how you stop sin? You recognize your relationship to sin. What is it? You recognize your identity. What is it? I'm dead to it. How does a dead man relate to anything? He doesn't. Hello? You guys okay? It's only Sunday morning. <laughs> okay? I've been working on this all week. <laughs> I done preached it to myself like ten times because that little sin thing comes pops up, you know. The Alabama game was last night, and I sinned quite often about every two minutes, you know. It's like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you know, you guys, you know, the... the the sin of, an atti- of a bad attitude, you know. <laughs> uh, look, you guys know, if you come out of any religious background, you've heard, you know, you've got sin in your life, so you can't do, no, you're dead to sin. The answer is we're dead to it. The answer to sin isn't how much I hate it. It isn't how much God hates it. It isn't, it isn't I'm going to go live for him, so I'm going to, do X, Y, and Z, the answer is, is I'm dead to it. So when you think about this and you begin to pay attention to the terminology we're going to be reading in Romans 6 and some of the language, you really quickly begin to understand that God is not converting the old. Think about that. Rather, God says, You're dead to sin. And because you're dead to sin, now I can go do something new. Okay? So he's not converting the old guy. By the way, look at verse 6. The old man is what? Crucified. What does that old man, what does crucified mean then? He's dead. So that I can, now he's going to do what? Now I can come over here and I can make something new from scratch. So we have terminology, new man, new creature, new, new. By the way, he's not talking about physical death, is he? He's talking about spiritual death, functional death. So when we come down through this section, we're going to be talking about our new identity. And we're going to find it starting next time in verse 3. And as we're, you know, in our studies here, verse 3, 4, and 5, and 6, and so forth, about that issue of our co-death, our co-burial, and our co-resurrection. He died my death. 
He, was, he, 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 he went through my burial and he went through my resurrection. So that I can have there the end of verse 4, I can walk in the what? What kind of life? Newness, new. The old, I'm not worried. The old dude's sitting over there in the closet. Lock him in. Now we've got the new. So in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this identity that we have in Christ, now we have the capacity to, guess what, not sin. We have that equipping. And again, this is going to be critical in our thinking as we move down through this section here because not everybody thinks about it this way. They don't think, so when you think about our identity in Jesus Christ, the old man is dead, he's been crucified, we're dead to sin. It's very interesting to me that Paul says that your Christian life starts in the graveyard. Usually when we think about the graveyard, what are we trying to do with it? Push it down the road a little further, aren't we? <laughs> You know, we kick in, We don't like the graveyard. But spiritually, and in our identity, guess what? He's not revitalizing the old. He's not rehabbing it, refurbishing it, reshaping it. He says, no, that old man has been crucified. He's dead. He's in the grave. So our Christian life, our Christian our, our identity starts in the graveyard. And usually, like I said, usually we think about the graveyard as the end of life. In God's view, it is the beginning of life. It's the starting point. By the way, if we are crucified with Christ, where did Christ end up? In a grave. Now, he didn't stay. He's resurrected. But that's where he ended up. And that's where our story begins. And that's our starting point. So if you, if you begin to see that your life, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say this, so hang on, okay? Your life doesn't matter to God in regards to your activity, to your determination, to your desire to live for him. Because you're doing it, and what are you? dead follow me did you follow that I hope when it comes to your life and you doing God says that stuff stinks you're dead by the way Lazarus when he came up after four days what did he do he stinketh you stink but your identity in Christ now what can you do now you can flourish now you can go. Now you can have a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord. And that's where the co-death, burial, and resurrection comes into play. So when we talk about the co, the co-ness, the co-death, burial, and resurrection means, every, means everything to do about that we now have the capacity to not sin. But Rick, what happens when I mess up? Because I'm going to mess Then what did you do? You messed up. Learn from it. Know that, that it does what? It stinks. <laughs> you know? It's interesting. Now at the end of 2020, you get all of the 2020, how bad a year it was, memes and stuff on Facebook and Parler and Wee Wee and Rumble and Mimi and... Instagram and all those play, you know, you get all that. It's like, huh, well, what do you do? When you mess up, what do you say? That is what hung my Savior at Calvary, and he died for it. So let's not do that again. Let's learn from it. Let's move on from it, because what we are literally going to learn and see is that we can now do something that we could never do before come down to verse 19 this is kind of where i ended last week looking at this and want to pick up here and move forward 619 
I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. You see how Paul does not, dis- he's going to teach us that that old man is dead and we're dead to sin, but he still says, what do you have? You still live in that infirmity of the flesh. He's not saying you're never going to sin again. He says you have the capacity to not have sin have dominion over you and run you. See? Okay? Verse 19. For as ye have yielded your member... Look at that. As ye have yielded. Do you know what it is to yield? Go faster. (laughs) You know? No, what do you do? You look for the people on your left and on your right. And if the book says if they're on your right, they have the right of way. Okay? So, but what are you doing? You're, you're paying attention to what's going on, aren't you? And you're giving way to other people. Just as you've yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Do you, does that sound good? Iniquity just gets to be what? More iniquity. It just keeps going and going and going. He says, man, just as you caved to iniquity unto iniquity, just as you used to give in, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto what? Holiness. The, now we are literally able to do something we could never do before. And that's be servants of righteousness unto holiness. The holiness of God, chapter 1 to 5, we violated it as sinners. We, back up there in, in, in chapter 5 there, verse 6, we were without strength. We were ungodly. Verse 8, we're sinners. Verse 10, we're enemies. Now, that holiness said, no, 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 you ain't coming near me. We get justified. Now he says, you are now, we are literal, we are the literal, visible manifestation and an extension of the holiness of God. That's who you are. You could never do that before. But now in in Christ, in a new identity, what are you? You're able to do something you can never do, and that is be that manifestation of the holiness of God. Drop down to verse 22. But now, being made free from sin, are you free from sin? Yes. That's what that verse says. That's black and white on the page. And become servants to God. It's interesting, all through 6, 7, and 8, we're going to find out about this issue of being a servant. Because what is the holiness of God? A component of that is the issue of serving the other members of the Godhead. You could never serve God before. Now you can. Ye have your fruit unto what? Holiness. What God did for us in his grace wasn't to liberate us from continuing in sin. Rather, his grace now gives us something we never had. And that's the capacity to not sin, but rather to produce fruit unto holiness. That's fantastic. You see... We start in chapter 1 to 5, babes, just learning, just getting justified. Takes us through the benefits. We have peace. We have access. We have hope. He says, okay, now here's what's going to happen in your life. You're going to have tribulations, and it's going to be nasty. But tribulations, when when you have the love of God shed abroad in your hearts, when you have the love of God come in and fill up every nook and cranny and flush out that old bad thinking about tribulation, You're going to begin to see that it's going to work for you, and you're going to have a different mindset about it, and it's going to be so radically different that now you're actually not even worrying about the tribulations. You're making decisions based upon this new information. 
And he says, now just as you have this by nature, this relationship with Adam, now by nature you have this new DNA set in you, the life of Christ and the DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now guess what you got to do? Much more, much more. It's just getting bigger and bigger. Now you're able to look at sin and say, you know what? I'm dead to that guy. And if I'm dead to it, he no longer has control over me. Now, rather, I can go do something I've never done before, and that's go be the servant of God and have fruit unto holiness. That's why in 12, 1 over there, a living sacrifice, holy. How is that? How am, I, how am I to be a living sacrifice? How can that be? I'm a dead man. Well, because chapter 6 is going to tell us that. So... As we move through this section, we're going to learn how we are dead with Christ so that we can now go and do something we could never do before. And that's really, honestly, a capacity to leave a trail of holiness behind us. And it's a little different way of thinking about it, I understand, but... It's the much more. There's more going on here than just saying, Woohoo, I'm saved from hell. He's no, we got much more. <laughs> yes, you are saved from hell and eternal damnation. By the way, verse 22 ends, and the end, everlasting life. But now you can go out there and say, you know what, I don't, I can, I have the capacity to no longer live in sin. Why? 6, 1, and 2, what am I? I'm dead to it. Sin's still there. By the way, when does sin finally get dealt with? Great white throne judgment, where, where he deals with it finally. So until then, guess what? It's a real enemy. It's everywhere. So what we have to do, go back to chapter 6 here. Or, well, you're in chapter 6. I gave you an outline last time of Romans 6, 7, and 8. I want to just take whatever time, so we may be done a little earlier than normal, but to show you how this is going to work as we go through this, there is a progression here in the edification process, okay? And how 6, 7, and 8... The, the first, in, in chapter 6, we learn that we are dead to sin, okay? In the first two verses, we have that, that declaration of we are dead to sin. In the declaration there in verse 1 and 2, you find out, here are the facts. You know, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. That's all I need. Here they are. Guess what the facts are? You're dead to sin, verse, verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You're dead to sin. That's the facts. That's the reality. What does it mean to be dead to sin? That's what's going to happen in verses 3 through 10 now, in that description. He's going to come along now and explain the facts. He's going to come along and make those facts become reality. And he's going to cause that fact about being dead to sin a reality in our thinking. And then in verse 11 to 23, what does that all look like? Because if, when you change your thinking about something, it impacts your life. It impacts a change. So what does that look like? Now, that same pattern will go through verse seven, chapter 7 and 8. We'll get there in just a minute. But what I want you to see here in chapter 6, because that's where we're going to be at, is that the fact is sin no longer has power over us. God has done something supernaturally in, your inner, in the realm of your inner man. that causes your inner man to have an impact. He's done something in your spirit. You know the three makeups. We've done this. Here's your spirit, right? Here's your soul, the real you. We studied this out. And here's your 
body. When you are, you come to Christ, to Calvary over here, you get saved, okay? Christ comes in and he does something into your, in your inner man that's designed to impact he, everything, if I can just say it like that. He's done something in the realm of our spirit that impacts our soul, that ultimately impacts, directs, and drives our body. All of that is inner man driven. None of that is exterior. When you say, I hate sin, so I'm going to go live a life for him, and I'm going to do A, B, C, D, and E, and F, all right? You get your, list, your Baptist list out from the back of the, of the hymn book. That's where it was at the school I went to. They had a list of the do's and don'ts in the back of the hymn book so you could be reminded every Sunday or every Wednesday night, you know. And in chapel, they, we had to read that thing almost every chapel, which was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. <laughs> and unless it was a ball game on Friday, then we didn't have chapel because we were spirit rally, you know, woohoo, woohoo, you know, <laughs> okay? But see, the thing is, is when you do that, see, that's, that's, that's answering this guy. Here's your inner man, and the Lord does something in here, in your inner man. All of it starts there in the realm. Come over to 1 Thessalonians 5. In the realm of your inner man, not in our body. Romans 5. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Just remind you here real quick of a couple things. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. You see that God of peace sanctify? The edification process is designed to be peaceful. The edification process is designed to bring peace to your inner man. Now, it's going to bring some upheaval as you begin to jettison some of the old religious baggage. But it's designed to be peaceful. You holy, the whole of you. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are made up of the spirit, the soul, and the body. This makes up your inner man here. Here's your outer man, right? The inner man gets renewed day by day. You put the sound doctrine in. The outer man is going to do what? It's going to perish, right? In your inner man, your soul, here's your mind, here's the real you, here's your will, your emotions, and your conscience. All that makeup of you, what's going on, your spirit, here's your, your thinking, here's your mind. Um, your mind belongs to the spirit, okay, let's do that over there. This is your heart. There's two pieces to this. So you hear, the, you hear the word of God, comes into your mind, and communicates with your spirit. Then it works itself over your heart. With the heart, man believes under righteousness. Your heart looks at that sound doctrine and says, you know what? That's what I want right there. Let's put that bad boy down here in our will and in our conscience. Okay? Then, some, then something happens. Sin comes up. Something happens, all right? You know? By the way, well, sin in Scripture has nothing to do about drinking or smoking, you know, or going to the movies. Can't go to the movies anyway anymore. <laughs> they, pump, they pipe that stuff in on your TV now, okay? It's, not, it's interesting, the seven things that God hates the most, pride's number one. It's fascinating, the list. Adultery, fornication, you know, you go down through the list. So you put this sound doctrine into your will and into your conscience, and something happens, and you say, you know what? I don't like that. So your will tells your emotions, 
I don't like that. Your emotions come up here and tell your body to go do something. Okay? Your body has no emotions. Your emotions sit in you, your inner man. This is the vehicle. That's that flesh. How do, by the way, how does religion work? Does religion work this way or that way? Religion comes over here. Religion, human viewpoint, focuses there. Make my body, make me feel good. Yeah. I, a guy emailed me the other day and he says, boy, I love that message. It made me feel good. <laughs> and I'm like, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm glad you feel good. It comes this way. That's how we think about it. It's interesting, by the way, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, I want you to be preserved this way. James, listing in, in, in James lists this as devilish going this way. How did, where does Satan come in? What did Satan do to Eve? He says, does it look good? She said, yeah, it looks good. It's going to make you wise. Yep, going to make me wise. You're going to desire it. He's working this way. The edification process, here's the word, get that there, work it down here into your will and into your conscience. Your conscience is like a filing cabinet. I try to think about it. And you've got files in the filing cabinet. And you're putting verses into those files labeled however you label them in your life. So that when work comes up or something comes up, you can go there in your thinking and pull out. Romans 2, what did we learn about the conscience of the Gentiles? It was excusing or accusing them. Your conscience says, looks at this looks at that and says that this activity, this action matches that or it doesn't match that. Accusing. It's accusatory. That's why Paul says you've got to have a good conscience, a clear conscience. Paul says, I've, the activities I've done, the stuff I, I did it with a clear conscience. I did it with a good conscience. Why? Because he's got the doctrine working. That's why he'll look over there and say they've got a weak and defiled conscience. That means that conscience is looking and saying, you know what that action's doing? That action's matching up with that, so it's good to go because it doesn't have, the, their filing cabinet doesn't have enough files in it yet. <laughs> you with me? Okay. In Romans 6, in our identity, because we've been to Calvary, we're begin this, is what, this is where the impact is, is in your thinking. It isn't in your actions. That's why I said God, God could care less about your life, because in your life, what are you trying to do? You're trying to live right, aren't you? You're trying to do something, and he's like, no, you dummy, you're dead to that. Come over here, learn who you are, get that sound doctrine in you, fill up that filing cabinet, and let me live through you. Then when I'm living through you, guess what? You won't be doing this. This stuff gets canceled out. Remember we looked over at 1 Corinthians 6, that relationship, what, a, what relationship does God have with Belial and that fellowship? And is no, none, none of that. You're not to have any of that relationship. Why? Because what does it do? A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You follow? We're over here. We're getting sound doctrine in. We're putting it here. We're going to tell our body now what to do. When you got up this morning, what did your body say? Stay in bed. That's what mine did. You know why? Because when I, my foot hit the, that cold tile floor, you know what it said? Cold tile floor, put it back in the, under the covers. <laughs> right? 
The dogs looked at me like, what are you doing getting up? Don't you know it's warm under here? <laughs> you know, the dachshunds, they crawl in and they go right to our feet. And they're, they're, they produce their own heat, so kind of, you know, their own heating blank, you know. So they're like, what are you doing getting up? You know, I'm like, got to get up. It's time to go. We got things to do today. At church today. See the saints. Let's go. You know. Or some of you that aren't here said, nope, we'll sit here a little longer. We'll wait for 10 o'clock. <laughs> Phil came over to work on the truck. He's like, what time? I said, about 9. That way the sun gets up a little warmer. <laughs> we'll just wait a little bit. Why? See, that's this way. God says, I'm, I'm working this way. Paul says the edification process is working this way. So in chapter 6, Paul is now going to begin to use terminology and language that reveals some things for us. Notice he's going to say, no, no you not. Don't you know? No you not. He's going to use a word reckon. He's going to use a word obey. He's going to use a word faith. All of these are not in your body. No, reckon, obey. No, ye not. Your body doesn't know anything. It, it can't reckon. It can't exercise faith. The only part of you that can do that is the inner man. Your body is just a vehicle. What happens to your body when you leave it? What does it do? It just falls to the ground. It has no life in it. You're in it. Adam was God made Adam. He breathed the breath of life into him and he became a what? Before he did that, what was Adam? He's just a dead pile, just a bunch of dirt. Formed into, a, look like, you know, two legs, two arms, a head, and an eye, you know. Until God did what? Gave it life. That's right here. Paul's going to come along, and he's going to say, hey, know ye not. Know you not. Know ye not. No. So, I, if I'm going to know something, where, where am I at now? See, I'm in the... My thinking, my mind, I'm in my sound doctrine. I've got to get all this in to my filing cabinet down here so that when something comes up and somebody says something, I can do what? Go through. I saw a thing, and I want to do this so bad here. I saw a book, um, a three-ring notebook that uses this size paper, and it was a mega church that did it and it had their beliefs their stuff on prayer and get all the different ideas and it was kind of like their doctrinal statement but it was on a notebook and in the back of the notebook it had places for notes so you could do notes over the year and I've thought about that here going you know what we could have and then have the ability to as we grow to add to it because you know we grow and stuff and you want to add to it and then take out the old and redo. And, every, and that's literally what your conscience is doing. That's literally what's going on in your inner man. You know, you open the file. I did this the other day. I've got the new directory. I've got to get it out. Don't let me forget. i got the new directory. You know what I did with the old, last year's directory? In the scanner. I mean, in the shredder. Why? Out. In with the new. So now when we run out, I know I can go to one file. There's the new one. And pull it out. You know why, you know why I know that? Because the file's labeled new directory. Get out the old, put in the new. That's what we're doing here. How do, you only do that by knowing some stuff, wrecking in it, obeying it, exercising faith in it. God doesn't, He's do, God's doing something in the realm of our inner man. And the design is to not only have the impact in our inner man. But it's also out here 
Because that's where we can then begin to manifest his holiness. Manifest, put on display, make all men see that issue. Paul, verse 5. Look at 6.5. Notice the terminology here. For if we have been, what? Planted. Isn't that interesting? Planted. Together in the likeness of him, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrected. Paul's going to use husbandry, farming terminology. Planted. Grafted. Rooted. He's going to use different terminology that brings us all the way back to Adam. And what's happened? First Adam, we've, we've seen him, chapter 5. He was a pile of dirt, wasn't he? You take a seed and you're going to plant it in the ground. That seed is what? Dead. There's nothing in that seed but a seed, but the components. Until you do what? Begin to water it, put fertilizer on it, the right temperature hits it, okay? And then what comes out of that dead seed? Life. Adam. Think about Adam. He's just a pile of dirt until God did what? Breathe life into him. Then he became a living soul. You know what God says now? You're dead. 6-2, you're dead to sin. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to breathe my life into you, the newness of life, and guess what you are now become? Something brand new. You plant that corn, that seed of corn, whether you plant it upside or, down, or right side, I don't know, that's always the question. From, you ask, have to ask the farmer. But you plant it the right direction, and you know what it comes up? Some, it comes up corn. But it doesn't come up just one kernel, it comes up with thousands of kernels, right? Something new, something different. He's going to use new, different terminology, 6-6, six, six, knowing this, that our old man, right? Whoops. What in the world is an old man? What is that? Who is that? What's going on there? So chapter 6, he's going to tell us about it. Come over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So in the terminology we're going to see as we go through the chapters here, we begin to see that the impact isn't here on our body. The design is to impact the inner man. Because the inner man is what then directs the body. Ephesians 4. By the way, this morning when you got up, you got dressed, you came to church, why did you come to church? What drove you? What made you decide to come to church today? Or to tune in on the internet? What did that? An external motivation of look, looking good, feeling good, being you know, pleasing? Or an internal desire to learn and to grow and to know? That's, that's what we're doing here. Religion says you came to church today because you want to feel good. You do. I know you do. <laughs> I do too. But, but my feeling good is, not, is, is, it, is to be driven internally, not externally. See? So if I'm over here trying to stop... Could, I, I knew a guy who used to come. He was like, man, Rick, I'm just trying to stop sin in my life. I said, what are you struggling for? The verse says you're freed. From sin. You're dead to it. It's done deal. You just got to choose to live in the verses, not live in what you think you ought to. It's like, well, I just don't have enough faith. Really? Where'd you get that one from? Oh, well, my preacher from, I go, that's the problem. You're still thinking about that preacher from the old days. Come over here. Ephesians 4, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. Boy, what a statement. <laughs> what a statement. You, you, Verse 17, 18, and 19, living as the Gentiles live out there in the flesh and in the sin and the lasciviousness. You know what? You didn't learn that from Christ. And you know what happens? 
most believers will say, how dare you judge me? Because they think that where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. What gave, and, and the thing is, is Paul is judging them. You didn't learn that from Christ. You learned that from this old man, that stinking dude over there. Keep reading. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as, in the, truth, as the truth is in Jesus. By the way, where did you hear Christ? Where did you learn? Where were you taught by Christ? Paul's epistles. Romans to Philemon. Verse 23. I'm not sorry, 22. That you put off concerning, notice, the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the to the deceitful lust. See that former conversation? To the who? Conversation, the way you talk. You think about conversation, talk, life, how you live. Have you ever noticed that when you're around certain people, you begin to talk like they talk? They kind of influence the way you talk. I can go down south and visit my relatives in about 10 minutes, have a southern semi-southern draw mixed in with the Chicago, you know, hey, how you doing, you know, thing, you know. And then I come out here and they go, boy, you don't have an accent at all. I go, really? I sound like Rocky Balboa sometimes, you know. You know what do you do, you know, and they're like, no, you don't. I'm like, but what, it, it, that, that's that influence, you know. Give me some sweet tea, you know, <laughs> type, right. He's like, what are you doing letting that old man influence you? He's dead. Don't you know that? Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your, where? Your mind. Get back over here where you're supposed to be. And that you put on the new man. Now watch, which after God is created in righteousness and what? True holiness. See how that new man, that new creature and holiness are connected and where you get that groundwork in the, is in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because in Romans 6, what did we just learn? We can do something we've never been able to do before, and that's live a life, leave a trail of true holiness. We could never do it before. So come back to Romans 6. So when, you, when we get into this, we're into... New shocking ground, if you will, for the believer. So in 6, I'll just put it over here. 6, you're dead to sin, okay? But you're alive you're alive to God. Watch the pattern, chapter 7. Chapter 7, you, we come into chapter 7. Look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become, what? Dead to the law. Do you know that the law is not dead? What does the verse say? Who's dead? We are. Our relationship to the law is dead. Ye also are becoming dead to the law by the body of who? Now we're alive in Christ. We're dead to the law. By the way, chapters in chapter 7, the declaration is here in, in verses 1 to 4. Guess what the facts are? The facts are, is that the law isn't dead, we are dead to it. That's the facts. So then in, chapter, in verses 5 to 12, we see how that's possible, the reality of it. And then in chapter 13 to 25, we begin to see the result of being dead to the law and alive to Christ. Chapter 8. We're going to learn that we're dead to the flesh and that we're alive in the spirit. Look at chapter 8 and look at verse number 4. Chapter 8, verse 4. 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What are we? First four verses of chapter 8, we find out that we are dead to the flesh. If you look down at verse 14. So, 1 to 4, we find out the facts. Verse 5 to 8, we find out here's how that's possible. Here's the reality of it. In verses 9 to 13, we find out here's the end result. Now look in verse 14, because we have another situation come up. And he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? So now, all of this is going to add up to the issue of being sons of God. By the way, you, hopefully you see that we are alive to the Godhead. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. We're what? We're going to learn now that we are the sons of God. Verse 15, the end of that, whereby we cry, what? Abba, Father. The cry of a son. Abba, Father. Then we're going to learn in verse 15 and following how that happens. And in 18 to 39, we're going to find out that the result. But notice, if you will, to verse 36. We've got two minutes. So we'll do this quickly. Look at verse 36 of chapter 8. Because here is literally the conclusion of the whole section. Is this issue about being sons. You'll hear people talk about sonship and the son. All right? Really, we're talking about being servants is what we're talking about. Sonship is really, when we go down through this, you'll learn it's about serving. It's about service. Verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Victory. Woohoo! D-Day. Let's have a parade. Right? Does that sound very victorious? No, it doesn't, does it? And you can say, wait a minute, I'm a son. I can cry, Abba, Father. So why, verse 36 then, why am I killed all the day long? Why am I counted as sheep for the slaughter? Well, let me ask you something. Who else cries, Abba, Father? Only one other person in Scripture did that, and that was Christ. And Christ cried that when he was in the garden and he was on going to Calvary. Where on Calvary, what was he described in Isaiah 53 as a lamb dumb being led to the who? To the slaughter. See? The relationship is there. How did he, how did, how did the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, serve the Father? He said, not my will, but thy will. And he cried, Abba, Father. And he was led to the slaughter like a lamb, like a sheep. So the issue that we're going to learn as we begin to put it into our inner man and as we walk through the dead to sin, dead to the law, dead to the flesh, all of these aspects, we're literally going to find out that we're talking about our service. It's not a, again, it's not about what we do. It's about who we are and who are we. We're this new creature. And God, uh, Paul, God through Paul, declares and describes the type of relationship that we have that allows us to be in verse 36 condition. And says, you know what? I'm just being led to the slaughter. And I'm going to live in verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Isn't that fantastic? There's victory in the right place. The victory isn't in what we're doing. The victory is in who we are in him. That's why I said, not what you're doing, it's what, who we are. Now watch verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see that list? We're to know all about all of that list because that list is the real enemy. 
In Ephesians 6, Paul says we don't wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. Who do we wrestle against? Spiritual wickedness in high places. This list, verse 38 and 39, Paul is reminding us as the servants, as the sons of God, who the real enemy is. And guess who the real enemy is? It isn't this. It's the guy who's trying to destroy, take away from that. And he says, you guys got to pay attention to who the real enemy is. And the real enemy in life isn't sin. It's the spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the real enemy. So how do you deal with these components? You fortify the inner man that then directs this body, the vehicle, to go and do. And you jettison that old course of this world, religion of the world, thinking. We have to refocus our thinking. We have to get rid of the old way, and we have to adapt the new way. So when we come back to Romans 6, we'll start, and we'll get into that. But that's verse 1 and 2, kind of can wrap up the introduction. Folks, we are dead to sin. That's, we are dead. Sin's not dead. We are. So in a dead man, you think about the coffin. Linda went to a funeral yesterday, and uh, some fo folks she knows and so forth, some family in the past, and uh, she said they did a very bad job with the body. But th she's laying there, and guess what? She wasn't there. She's gone. Why? Because she's dead. And when you reckon yourself to be in the identity that we have, 611, guess what you're going to say? That guy over there is dead. He has no control over me. Now I can go and lead and lay down that life of holiness, which is our design. And again, we'll get into the service and so forth, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the study of it, for the interest of the folks to study it and to look into it. In your name we pray, amen.